Especially this morning, we brought to us by Caleb. More 
morning by morning How great is your faithfulness I called your name You heard my cry Out of the grave And into life My heart is yours My soul is God for saving me. Thank you, God, for saving me. You gave your life upon the cross. You suffered once for all. You made a way. Jesus in victory. All your own Now we are saved You gave your life Upon the cross You suffered once for all You made a way Jesus in victory You rose You made us all your own Now we are saved You gave your life upon the cross You suffered once for all You made a way Jesus in victory you rose You made us all your own Now we are saved Thank you God for saving me Thank you God for saving me, for saving me, for saving me. I called your name, you heard my cry out of the grave and into life. My heart is yours, my soul is Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank the Lord for whenever He saves us and leads us to serve Him. And uh, all of us in here need to be reminded that no matter what you face in life, that God loves you more than anything and that He died for you, rose again to give you life. As we look at this subject that you find in your bulletin, whether you follow along there on the screen, that this will finish us up in Nehemiah. We come to the last chapter of Nehemiah, strengthening our hands for the work. It's been a, a neat look. Nehemiah was a spiritual leader. Nehemiah was God's man for the appropriate time and the appropriate problems that were facing 
Israel during that time. Now, you may be, God may be leading you to, to take a step of faith to, um, to do more for Him, to maybe do something you've not ever done. Nehemiah had not ever done that. He had not ever stepped up to that position. As we come here, we find a unique situation as we close out this book. And the title for this morning's message is, When God Takes Your Burdens and Makes a Blessing Out of It. When God Takes Your Burden. Now, I've, I've said it this way before. I've said, uh, I've said, and many of you may have heard this statement from me or from someone else, is that God is the only one who can take something bad in your life and make something good out of it. In other words, something bad happens, and it could be even something that uh, you bring upon yourself. I know we were discussing in Sunday school about that, you know, that individuals or churches going through uh, tribulation and different things. And in First Peter is basically the theme of First Peter is about suffering. And it says, if any man suffer, don't let him suffer as an evildoer, which means this is that may our troubles not be what we bring on ourselves. And sometimes we that does happen. But Nehemiah, most of the troubles were uh, things that were happening to others and, and attacks that he had upon his own life. Matter of fact, by one of the one of the villains mentioned in chapter 13, kind of comes back to haunt him, a fellow that he had had dealings with before. And we'll get to that in just a second. So let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's holy word. Nehemiah chapter 13 and verse 2. The Word of God states this, Because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water, but hired Balaam against them, that he should curse them. How be it our God turned the curse into a blessing. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for this opportunity to make a difference, to be an example before others. Please work in our lives, especially whenever tough times hit, troubles come our way, tribulation, tragedy, tough circumstances, that You would help us to make our burdens a blessing. That Only You can do that. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, there's an old saying that when life gives you lemons to make lemonade, well, I tell you what, uh, there's a whole bunch of different ways that you and I could look at that today and, uh, you know, talk about when life throws you a curveball, uh, life deals, you know, tough times, difficult circumstances to make lemonade. Basically, that's an, just an adage saying, you know, all of us are going to have difficulties. That's just a fact of life. I mean, all of us are, things are going to break down. Transmissions are going to bust. Brakes are going to go out. The, the washer and the dryer, the refrigerator, all of these things happen. We get sick. I was talking with my dad this morning, shared this in the men's meeting, and and uh, I coveted their prayers. Can't do it without their prayers and support. 
And uh, about, uh, you know, the doctor diagnosed my memal Reese this, this week with, uh, with Alzheimer's and the continuing of aggressive effects of that. And so, uh, but many have gone down that road before. And there, she, he, you know, mainly a lot of times when a family has a relative facing Alzheimer's, it's the family that faces the bigger burden. Usually the patient, uh, you know, is unaware of a lot of the troubles and the difficulties that lie ahead. And I, we've already been down this road before with my granny. That's what I called my mom's mom. And uh, she passed away in 1999. And uh, Karen and I had a great relationship with Memaw, really, Memaw was a grandmother that Karen never had. And uh, it's kind of neat because we spent a lot of time there whenever I pastored in Texas. She was right down the road. And, uh, you know, those tough times come, but you have to take them and say, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do with them? Well, let's take off. Our, our text is something that we've looked at and when bad things happen, God can make something good out of it. There's basically three things that you and I can do when tough times hit. And this is a godly response when tough times hit. When bad things happen, you can choose to get, to get mean in the world. You can choose to get mad at the world. Most people get mad at God. You can choose to get uh, uh, mad at somebody else. When tough times hit, you can get mad at the problem. You can react in a worldly way. You can react in a physical way. But when tough times hit, there's these three things. We should be driven to our knees. We should draw closer to God. And our priorities are cleaned up. And basically, let's just go over those real fast. And that is, your first reaction to tough times should I need my prayer life isn't where it ought to be. I don't think there's anybody in here can say, well, you know, I just pray way too much. <laughs> I just pray way too much, Brother Michael. So I really need to slack off on my prayer life because it's just, it's just monopolizing my time. I, if you have that situation, I would uh, love for you to describe it to me after church and let me know about your prayer life being way overboard. That just okay. So in most of us, including this preacher, is that is that when I have tough times, it really it does drive me closer to God, and it should do that. You know, we draw closer to God. The Bible says to resist the devil. So resist our, basically when it says, written, this is all in James chapter 4, when it, and it says it all in the same context, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Then it says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. You know what that means? It's, it's a country way of saying it. Go give God a hug and he'll hug you back. He will hug you. Have you ever thought about, I wish God would just wrap me up in his arms because of this tough time that I, folks, he will. It says, it says there in James chapter 4, draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. You know what that means? When you draw nigh to somebody, it means pull them up against you. That's what it means. And so we say, I need Jesus. I need an encouragement. I need lifting up because I'm going through a tough time in my life. Many of us 
also find out that we need our priorities cleaned up. You know what? You know, you know what I mean? Well, you know what? I haven't been living right. And I haven't been praying like I should. And, you know, maybe I'm not the Christ-like example that I need to be before my family and before my kids and before my grandkids and before my whomever, my friends. My priorities aren't where they should be. You know, the old saying we say God should be first in our lives and then our family and then our job and wherever, how you, you know, you can make a list ever how long you want. Would you say all of my priorities are right? I have God right at the top of the list. He's the most important thing to me. Could you say that this morning? You see, that's what I mean by our troubles say my priorities are not where they should be. That's what I mean. Our priorities needing to be cleaned up. In other words, am I, am I doing exactly are the most important things, the most important things in my life? And that's what we have here. The mistake many Christians make in life when troubles hit, and it, sometimes it brings trouble and sometimes it's the wrong reaction to trouble. And I say troubles, tribulation, tri- you can just name a lot of synonyms there. But verse 4 happens, the mistake many Christians make in our text is verse 4. And it's basically this, the time was Nehemiah went back to Persia to see the king for a while. And now he's coming back to check on things and he finds out that the, the priest he left in charge, he's done went haywire. The leader of the people, it says, and before this, Elisha, the priest having the oversight of the chamber of the house of God was allied unto Tobiah. Tobiah was the one who tried to ruin Nehemiah. Tobiah was the one that was against Jerusalem being rebuilt. Tobiah is the bad guy. And for whatever reason, think about this. I've seen people go through tough times. Instead of going to God, they go to maybe a lost friend or lost person. and Or they draw closer to the world. They say, the answer's found in the bottom of a beer can. The answer's found in the bottom of a bottle. The answer's found in, I need to, I'm broke, so I need to go out there and try to strike it rich in the gambling and the scratch-off tickets and the lottery, and that's the answer to my problems. You see, the answer, many people run the wrong way to the wrong answer. And that's what he was doing. He was turning to a worldly person. He was seeking the wrong kind of influence. This is, I mean, where what you going with this? We draw closer to worldly people. We let the world move into our lives. As a matter of fact, it says that he, he, he let this guy move in and he basically he took over. This is somebody that's worldly coming into the church house, so to speak, and taking over. And that's, you know what that happens? The same thing is true on the throne of your life. Letting somebody worldly come into the throne of your life and take over. You know what Nehemiah did with this? As we look at verse 7, it says, okay, all right, things are going, we got the, the, the preacher, so to speak, of course it was called a priest, and he's reestablished, supposed to reestablishing and get everything back toward God, and he's making the mistake of leading them away. So he come to he came to I came to Jerusalem, and understood of the evil that Elisha did for Tobiah 
in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me sore. Therefore, I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I commanded and they cleansed the chamber and thither brought I again the vessels of the house of God with meat offering and and the frankincense. Basically, what Nehemiah did is that he said this stuff has to go. Now, let's just talk about that for just a second. This stuff has to go. In other words, uh, I've got to change some stuff in my life. You know, maybe the music I listen to, uh, the shows and programming that I watch, uh, maybe some of the, the friends that I have. And he changed. He changed. He said, yeah, I've got, we got a clean house. We have to throw this stuff out. That's, you see, his stuff that, and maybe in your heart, maybe there's stuff in your heart that needs to be cleaned out. You say, you know what, I've been, I've been full of anger, bitterness, bitterness, resentment, hatred, animosity, dislike, distrust. Uh, there's all sorts, remorse, regret, all of these things before you can be right with God, some of those things need to be cleaned out. I don't know what it is in your heart that's holding you back from serving God this morning, but some of you can't serve God because some stuff needs to be cleaned out. And that's what happened here. They, there was bad influence going on, bad influence going on, and so some stuff had to go. Nehemiah said, all this stuff has to go out, and he threw it out. And matter of fact, it says, put God's stuff back where it goes. In our text, it says that... Uh, after he kicked all that stuff out, in verse 9, it says, And thither I brought I again the vessels of the house of God. So basically, he put God's stuff. In other words, let's think about it this way real quick this morning. People, is God's priorities in your life? And when it means by God's stuff, all of folks... All of our furniture is where it needs to be this morning. So we can't do anything about our furniture. We're not talking about furniture this morning, are we? We're not talking about the pew you're sitting on or the, or the, the PA system being put back or the paint being put back. We're not talking about that. Folks, we're talking about our hearts this morning. Is there anything that needs to be kicked out and do we need to put God's stuff back where it goes in our heart? You see what I mean? That's what he's doing here. That's what Nehemiah... Nehemiah's being a leader. He's saying there's something wrong. Things need to change. I need to put God's stuff back where it goes. But today, all of our furniture is okay. It's our hearts that we need to be concerned about. It's our hearts. Put God's stuff back where it goes. The backsliding of the people. This is very, kind of interesting here. Matter of fact, did they not only let Tobias stay, people stopped going to church. And people stopped going to church, they stopped bringing their tithes in, which was kind of what we talked about last deal. And you know what the preachers did? The, the preachers, the priests said, well, well, they're not bringing, so guess what? We got we to go find a job. Nothing wrong with a preacher finding a job, but this thing is, it was totally out of God's will. You know, I've pastored bivocationally for years nothing wrong with that but that wasn't right here it wasn't what god wanted they had to because the people 
said, we don't care anymore. If, the, if the, our leader's going to do that, then we're just not going to care. We're not going to care anymore. And so they went out into the fields and that did work, were fled everyone uh, to his field. The preacher had to leave his duties, basically, all the priests. But then Nehemiah did something again, and I just called it what Nehemiah did in verse 11. Then contended I with the rulers. Now, and, and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And we looked at that scripture in Haggai last uh, week. So, and we're going to look just a second about Nehemiah's approach. So he's saying, man, he went over here and he had to fix this. And then he went over here and he had to fix that. And so Nehemiah's trying to address this. This is not right. This is not what, when I left, everything was fine. And it wasn't that it was dependent on Nehemiah. The people just made a bad choice. And then they had a leader that maybe wasn't as strong as Nehemiah. And so the people are listening to him. The people are trying to, oh, we got to fix this. we got to fix that. And so what Nehemiah did was, was he said, listen, this is what you got to do. Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Preachers, come out of the field. Get back to tending the house of God. People, start bringing your tithes back to the storehouse. You know, our church has been blessed. Not only by generous people giving, but one of the neatest blessings that we've had, if you're not aware of it, is called our faith promise giving, which is just saying, you know what? After you pray about it, you say, I think God's leading me. It goes all to missions and those little envelopes there and people sometimes write it on their check or whatever and they give money to missions. It goes 100% to missions. Anyway, in that... Uh, that faith promise can say, I, you know what, I already give my tithe, and that's the only people who need to participate in that. I already give my tithe, but I feel like I, I could give an extra $5 a week or $10 a week or ever how much per month or whatever. And it's been one of the neatest blessings our church has enjoyed, been able to help a lot of people and a lot of missionaries. And so it's just been really neat. You know, it says back in verse 8, I like the way God just helps us know what Nehemiah is feeling. When it says at the beginning of verse 8, And it grieved me sore to say, you know what, I'm, I'm upset. I'm upset that God's not being honored. I'm upset that God's people aren't doing right. Folks, it's okay to be upset when God's people aren't doing right. And people aren't living right. People that know better. People that shouldn't be doing worldly things and worldly actions, worldly reactions. Well, lastly, this morning, as we wind down this book, the way we should want to be remembered. In verse 14, this is pretty neat. He says this in two places. He says it in verse 14. He says, remember me, oh my God concerning this. Now, who's this me? Who's first person here? That's Nehemiah. Remember me, O oh my God, concerning this, and wipe out, wipe not out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for the offices thereof. You know, we need to be concerned 
for two things, that the word of God would continue, that the preaching of God's word will continue, and that God's messengers, which are God's preachers, pastors, and missionaries, would continue on. One of the neatest things, we're fixing to celebrate, of course, our 150th uh, anniversary. We're going to have, we've uh, put in the final touches for actually getting ready to print our booklet and all the, I think it's 33 pastors that Promised Land has had in the last 150 years, which is pretty cool to go back and see some of these highlights is that Promised Land is always taking care of their pastors. And that's, that's a uh, testimony to loving God's people. Also, another thing that's been a heritage is taking care of missionaries. And that's basically this, that we're concerned with seeing the word of God spread. What does it say here? Nehemiah says, the way I want to be remembered, in other words, what I want on my tombstone is that he loved God's work and he loved God's men preaching the word of God. Or whatever it may, however you would want to phrase it on Nehemiah's tombstone. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, remember me that I loved your work. I loved this job, this opportunity that you gave me, and that I wanted the preachers to do their job, to preach the Word, to stand for truth, and that I told the people they needed to give in order that the work would be done. And that was Nehemiah's legacy. That was Nehemiah's legacy, that he led the people to do the right thing. That he led the people to serve God. That he also led the people to say, listen, your forefathers messed up, but don't live in the past. You serve God today. That was kind of the last theme over the last several chapters. Your four, remember they confessed the sins of their forefathers and they said our daddy messed up and our grandpa messed up. And that's the reason they were in captivity way over yonder. But now we've got another chance and another opportunity. What about you this morning? You say, Brother Michael, I've messed up in the past. I've done this in the past. I've had this in, and I wasn't raised in a Christian home. If you use that as an excuse, that's all it is, is an excuse. You cannot live in the past. All we can do is learn from it. And say, I need to serve God with what I've got today. The very, isn't it? This is another interesting thing. What is the very last verse of Nehemiah? And that's in our text. The very last verse of Nehemiah, verse 31. says, and he's finishing up a sentence. And for the wood offerings at times appointed, and for the first fruits, he's finishing up that sentence. There's a period there. What's the very last sentence of Nehemiah? Remember me, O oh my God, for good. Dear Lord, would you take something bad and make something good out of it? Would you take something bad and make something good out of it? My life has been tough. I have made mistakes. I'm trying my best to serve you. How do you want to be remembered this morning? As we prepare for a hymn of invitation. How do you want to your life to be remembered? As you you and I are writing 
our eulogy as we as we live right now. Nehemiah wanted to be remembered for the good that he did. For the good things that he did. And that's what he asked God to do. Father, I thank you for this time that we have this morning to look at the example that Nehemiah set before us. Father, that we would say, I I am going through a tough time in my life. That I have faced some tough difficulties. Dear Lord, take these burdens, take these troubles and And make something good out of them. For your will, for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.